Good morning again. So last week we kicked off a series entitled We Believe. And we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, one of the great creeds of the church. In fact, the word credo means I believe. And let me tell you something. One of the most important things for us to understand is what we believe matters. Now, there are a lot of people who say they're atheist or they're agnostic and they don't believe this or they don't believe that. But the word is that whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, you believe something. What we believe matters because we live out of what we believe. So this morning, I have the privilege to uh, continue, and, and I've been given the assignment to talk about that first affirmation in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. What am I saying? What am I affirming when I say I believe in God the Father Almighty. We're going to wrestle with that this morning and allow it to get down deep in our hearts and we can take it home and live with it this week. So let me ask you, because my sermons always begin with a question. Do you know the status of your relationship with God? What is the status of your relationship with God? Do you know who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you remember who you were and what your life was like before God began transforming you into the image of his son. Do you remember? You were a slave. You were a slave to sin. You were condemned under God's law. You were weak. You were living according to the flesh and the dictates of your corrupt heart, your old sinful nature. In fact, to be honest, you were hostile toward God. You were slaves. Your, your identity was in your political affiliation. Your identity was in your sexuality. Your identity was wrapped up in your race and your people group. Your identity was in your social circle. You were not free. You were in bondage. You were slaves. 
that's who you were. That's who I was. But Paul makes a big announcement in this passage in Romans chapter 8. He says, but now we are not owned. We have been chosen. That's, that's, that's my point. You see it? I'm a one-point preacher. That's my point. That's the, stick, that's the take home this week. We are not owned. We have been chosen. That's the good news that we live in. That's the reality of who we are. We are not property. We are not slaves. We are not owned. We are not in bondage because we have been chosen. That's good news. That's great news in the culture and the climate that we live in when we can easily become slaves to this thought or this idea or this ideology. The fact of the matter is for each and every one of us sitting in here right now, regardless of what you may be dealing with or what may be dealing with you, you are not owned by it because you have been chosen. Paul writes to the churches in the province of Rome. And, and if you notice in reading Romans 8, he weaves back and forth, reminding them of who they were and who they are now. And it, Paul explains that the Holy Spirit's presence in us is the proof of our position with the Father. Paul begins chapter 8. I, I love Romans chapter 8. It's got to be one of the most powerful pericopes in Scripture. Paul begins chapter 8, verse 1, by declaring, you know what it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are, watch this, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is Paul's favorite term. It means union with Christ. It means that you have a relationship with Christ. You are in Christ. You were out of Christ, but now you are in Christ Jesus. And then he ends chapter 8 by declaring in verses 38 and 39 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the answer to why there is no condemnation in verse 1 and why we cannot be separated in verses 38 and 39 is found right here in the middle of chapter 8 in verses 14 through 17. In each of these verses, God's people are designated as his children or sons, and this privileged status is related to the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to scare anybody when we talk about the Holy Spirit because some, sometime uh, uh, Christians seem to be spirit shy. In the letter of Romans, the Holy Spirit's work and ministry is mentioned here in chapter 8 more than anywhere else in the entire letter to the Romans in chapter 8. And so let me unpack this, 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 this four verses uh, under three headings about this ministry that the Holy Spirit is doing in us and why we're able to affirm God the Father Almighty. First, the Holy Spirit reveals our identity 
Secondly, the Holy Spirit confirms our status. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit guarantees our future. First, the Holy Spirit, watch this, reveals our identity. He says in verse 14 that, 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 that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us and it's the Holy Spirit leading us that, com that confirms that we belong to God. That's how you know you belong to God. He says you are led by the Spirit. It, it, it denotes continual guidance from the Holy Spirit. You know, some people think once I become a follower of Jesus Christ, I get the Holy Spirit, and, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like a, 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 a Dear Abby advice. I, if I need advice, then I go to the Holy Spirit. No, no, that, that's not how he works. No, once you begin following Jesus Christ in, the Holy, in, in, in discipleship, it is the Spirit who he shows you the way in life totally. We are not left to our own wisdom or the lack of it. Guidance does not come from our circumstances. You know, some people say, you know, uh, I'm, uh, for example, uh, a guy says, I'm going to propose uh, to this girl. And uh, 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 on the way there, uh, uh, a storm fall, uh, comes up, you know, and a tree falls. And he says, well, I guess I'm not, so I'm not supposed to uh, propose to her today. No, that's not how this works. The Holy Spirit does not need our circumstances to guide us because circumstances can be misinterpreted. It is the Spirit opening your heart to understand it is God's Spirit that repatterns your life. It is God's Spirit that reprograms our mind and our body to perform the things that God has commanded us to do in His his word. We, 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 we are led by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reveals our identity. That's who we are. We know who we are because we're led by the Spirit. That's how you know you're, you're, you're a child of God. That's how you can affirm God is God the, God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty because the Holy Spirit is leading me and guiding me in His word. Through his word. He says, we not only belong to the family, but we act like it. And, and, and listen, we should understand the leading of the spirit as a distinguishing sign of God's children. Being led by the spirit is a mark of all of God's people. Not just some. We know who we are because we are under the dominating influence of the Spirit. He is leading and we are following Him. In our marriages, we are following Him. In the way we raise our children, we, he, 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 we are following Him. He's leading and we are following. We, we, you know, I have to remind people sometimes when I'm giving counseling and, and they want to do things, I have to remind them that you are not Holy Ghost Junior. You are you. And the Holy Spirit 
who's inside of you that you received when you uh, uh, trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation. He is the one that's leading and guiding you, and he doesn't need your assistance. He knows what he's doing. We are under his influence. He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little of ourselves and much of Jesus. He leads us out of error into truth. He leads us into love, real, authentic love. He leads us into holiness. And his leading us reveals that we are the children of God. As we follow Jesus Christ and we grow and mature, one of the areas of growth and maturity is in our discernment. And I want us to understand what discernment is. D D Charles Spurgeon says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's an area, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's one of the areas of your growth that you need to spend a lot of time asking God to develop and mature in you the spirit of discernment so you can know the truth from the almost truth. Because we are not owned We've been chosen. I love this quote by Kevin DeYoung. He says, the old liberal credo made much of the universal fatherhood of God. But as nice as it sounds, God is not the father of all. He is God over all, even though many do not worship him. And Lord over all, though many do not submit to him. And in one sense, he may be called the father of all in that all people owe their existence to God. But in the deeper sense of the title, the way Jesus used it, God is not the father of all. He's only father to those who have Christ for their brother. And the Holy Spirit's leading us, guiding us, and we following to him is confirmation inside of us that I am a child of God. Not, not because, well, I feel like a child of God this morning, or I don't feel like a child of God this morning. No, the fact remains, regardless of how you feel, that you are a child of God. There have been times where I didn't feel, I felt lonely. That didn't mean I didn't have Sandra and Martin as my parents. There, 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 there have been times where I, 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 I didn't know if I was coming or going, but that, that, that didn't change the fact that Martin was my dad. That didn't change anything. The reality is that I have the Holy Spirit inside of me as a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's leading me, and he's guiding me. And he's directing me, and I belong to him. Secondly, in verse 15 and 16, Paul says the Holy Spirit confirms our status. This is my favorite part of these four verses. Notice Paul says, he says, the Holy Spirit replaces our fear with freedom. He says, you are no longer slaves.
You, 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 you're no longer owned. <clears throat> you're no longer property. You are free. This is a change in the relationship. God is no longer our judge, but he's now our father. That changes everything. We are the preferred of God. A few years ago, pre-COVID, Kira and I went on a cruise with her family reunion, and, 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 and when you go on the cruise, you can wait to board, or uh, you can pay a little extra, and you can get on straight away. It's called faster to the fun. I love that. You, it, it, you, just, you don't have to wait. You just go on and get on. I like fast, and it's called faster to the fun because we were preferred. Can I tell you something? That's your status right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about the judgment of God because God is your father. Your status has changed. You are no longer a slave. You are now a son. He's no longer your judge. He's now our father, and we are his preferred. And we are the choice of God. You are chosen by God, by his free, unearned, unearnable, undeserved favor. We are no longer slaves, slaves to what people think of us, slaves to our past, slaves to the sins that we've committed. We're no longer slaves. No one, they can, they can bring it up. It's true, but I have been forgiven. I have been cleansed. I have been washed. You know, you're always going to have scuba divers. God throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, but you have people who put on their scuba gear and will go back down there and try to bring it up and throw it in your face, and you tell them, yes, that was true, but now I am forgiven. I don't have a judge. I have a father. I'm not afraid of God. I run to him. I am chosen. My status has changed. I'm not a slave. I belong to God. This is what you need to know this morning. You belong to God. You are not your own. You belong to him. This adoption metaphor Paul uses uh, depicts the transformation of the believer's status, not only from slave to freedman, but also from free person to adopted son. And it's interesting, in the Roman world of the first century, uh, an adopted son was a son or daughter that was deliberately chosen by the adoptive father. And he was chosen to perpetuate the father's name and to inherit his estate. And watch this, in no way, not in the smallest degree, was the adopted child inferior in status to the son that was born to the father naturally. Lord, help me this morning. He, 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 you, 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 you inherit his estate. It, it, it signifies being granted the full rights and privileges of sonship in a family to which one does not belong naturally. We are admitted to heaven, my friends, to the family of God to which we had no right of our own. But now we are admitted and can call God 
Father. He says, Paul uses two terms, an Aramaic and a, and, 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 and a Hebrew, Abba, Father. That Abba was a, a, a term of endearment, like saying daddy or papa. And, and, and Jesus is the one who uses it first in, in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when he approaches God. He doesn't come to him uh, uh, most omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator, the great potentate of the universe. No. That's not how he comes to God. He comes to God as father. He said, no, no, better than that, dad. And you have that same privilege and that same access into the very presence of God right at this moment. You can go into God's very presence as his son and as his daughter and say, Dad. Oh, I, 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 I'm trying to get through this, but I'm, I'm, I'm black and I've been black a long time and I've been a black preacher a long time and I have these flash black backs when I was in the, in the black church and at this moment, my mind is going back and I go back to these old hymns of the church and one of the old hymns is, Father, I stretch my hands to thee no other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, ah, whither shall I go? What did thine only son endure before I drew my breath? What pain, what labor to secure my soul from endless death? That's the God that we serve, that we can come into him because he's our father. I don't know what your relationship was like with your earthly father. But that pales in comparison to the great father that sits high and looks low and is in intimately involved in your life and my life right now. The spirit himself testifies in verse 16 that with he, he testifies with our spirit. Paul says that we are children of God. I like that. It's like the Holy Spirit. You have an amen corner on the inside of you when you say, I'm a child of God, and the Holy Spirit say, amen, that's right. He or she is a child of God. Amen. This is good, but the best illustration of adoption is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is king, and he asked the question, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, let me bring you up. David and Saul were enemies. And, and repeatedly, Saul had done everything within his power to kill David. And Saul's life was a tremendous tragedy. He was proud, he was jealous, he was murderous, he, he, and, and he despised and hated David because David was anointed and he was not. But his son Jonathan, Saul's son, loved David and David loved Jonathan. And so for the sake of Jonathan, David says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David wants to extend kindness to the house of his enemy. Saul had a servant whose name was Ziba, and he tells David that there is one grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, who is lame in both feet. 
You can pick this up in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in both feet. Mephibosheth was his name. And when he was five years old, when they were trying to run and get away, his nurse dropped him and left him forever crippled. The Bible says that Mephibosheth is living down in Lodabar, which means barren land. But something happens in chapter 9. Oh, my God. The Bible says that David calls for Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth responds, Behold, I am your servant. And listen what happens. David said to him, Do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table, the king's table, always. Mephibosheth responds the way every sinner should respond. What is your servant that you should regard, have regard for a dead dog such as I? Bible says, but that's what David did. He called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce to him that he may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. That's what happened. Mephibosheth sat at David's table like one of David's sons. I'm preaching the gospel. I don't know if you got it yet. Mephibosheth had a young son, but, 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 but the Bible says in verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He was living down in Lodabar, which means barren land. The king sent for him. The king elevated him. The king said, you're going to eat at my table always. And he moved him from Lodabar, a barren land, up to Jerusalem, the city of peace. And he ate at the king's table always. Here is adoption. This is an adoption of grace, an adoption of mercy, an adoption of love. It is our adoption into the family of God. David took the initiative in adopting Mephibosheth, and the Lord takes the initiative in adopting us. David showed mercy to one who was unworthy, one who had descended from an evil enemy, and so does the Lord seek among the children of his enemy his sons to adopt. David was motivated by love for Jonathan, and in our case, God was motivated, motivated by his love for Jesus Christ, and he redeemed us for Christ's sake. David desired to show kindness. Bible says, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, that God said he was going to raise up with him Jesus Christ, raise us up with him, and then seat us with him in the heavenly places in, there's that word again, Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable kind riches of his grace in kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. David chose one who was outside the standard of perfection. God has chosen those of us, you and me, who are outside the standard of perfection. Mephibosheth means shameful thing. That's what it means. He lived in Lodabar, which means the barren land. Or literally, a place of no pasture. He was a nobody from nowhere. And those are the kind of people God takes as his sons. David brought him to his own table to feed him as one of his own sons. And that's what the Lord does for you. That's what the Lord is doing for you. He brings you to his table. But then David does something more. He gives him an inheritance. That's what the Lord does for us. That's what you have right now. That's what he says in verse 17 of Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit guarantees our future. It seems like Paul cannot leave this theme of being God's children without pointing out its implications for the future. He says, now if we are children, since we are children, then we are heirs and as well as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The inheritance Paul has in mind is not something God intends to bestow on us, but God himself. That's the inheritance. You and I are not going to get some sky mansion or, uh, 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 I don't know, all the things we can imagine, uh, a, a Tesla or whatever you think you're going to have and go, you're not going to have that. No, the, the, for the believer, our inheritance is literally God himself. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Scripture lays a strong emphasis on the principle, Paul says, That suffering is the path to glory. I want you to hear this. Because the essence of discipleship is union with Christ. And this means identification with Jesus Christ in both suffering and glory. No cross, no crown. Hear me this morning. I want you to get rid of your theology of glory and get you a theology of the cross. A theology of glory is about you, but a theology of glory is about Jesus Christ. I'm finished. But there's this, I always try to think, how can I help people see this and one of my favorite stories old story is a story about a old fella named Mr. Willie Jackson and Mr. Jackson was a very wealthy man I mean he was wealthy like really wealthy and 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 and, he, and Mr. Jackson had a son And he raised his son, he gave his son everything, he gave his son every opportunity. But one day, one day, Mr. Jackson's son just left and never came back home. He 
he, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't check in with his father. His father had given him every opportunity and treated him the best way a father would treat a son, giving him everything a son could imagine. But when he left, he didn't come back to check on his father. But one day, one day, the, the, as the story goes, Mr. Willie Jackson passed away. They, they sent out messages and to try to get the son to come home, but they couldn't find the son anywhere. Well, Mr. Jackson uh, uh, had, had uh, an amazing home, and, and in his home he had rare pieces of art and, and furniture. It was resplendent with all the accoutrements that come with that level of wealth. Mr. Jackson's earthly goods were gathered and, 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 and they were put in, in, in a hall where they could be auctioned off because his son was not there to receive his inheritance. So he, he, he had to, to have his goods auctioned off and so the, 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 the center was filled with people because they knew Mr. Jackson and they knew he had great taste and they knew he had fine things and so they, the auctioneer is there and, and the attorney is there and, and, and they get ready for the auction and the first thing on the auction block is a picture of Mr. Jackson's son. Well, the people are ready to get over with this and so they, the auctioneer starts the bidding and it, for the picture of Mr. Jackson's son and it begins at $5 and, and they can hardly get anybody to bid for the picture because everybody has such a bad feeling about Mr. Jackson's son who abandoned and didn't come and see about his dad. And, and, and so they finally got somebody to take the picture going once, going twice for $5, sold for $5. And after they sold the picture, the attorney and the auctioneer begin to pack up and go home. The people are frustrated and the crowd is going crazy. They can't understand because they got all of these beautiful things to be auctioned off, lamps and art and furniture, and, and, and they don't understand why they're closing down the auction and the attorney is afraid to go back in and the auctioneer is afraid to go back in, but the attorney goes back in and quiets the crowd down and, 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 and says, let me explain something. Mr. Jackson had a will. And in his will, there was a clause. And the clause in the will said that whoever got his son could have all of his stuff. Ah, that's what you and I have right now. We've got something better. We have God's son, Jesus Christ. And we have the gift of his Holy Spirit who tells us that we belong to him. And when we stand and affirm, I believe in God the Father, that's what we're saying every week. I have the son and I have everything the son has because of my relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, it is your spirit that does the work. It is your spirit that produces the fruit. I pray that your spirit will continue to teach us and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.